Hey, y'all, how are we doing? Shout out to Bear Nation for tuning in for another episode of The Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship, a podcast for the entrepreneur-minded, created by entrepreneurs, discussing the real stories that give you the tools to overcome challenges and stay true to your real self. As always, I want to give a shout out to our partners over at Finn. Finn is a social good platform that creates employee engagement and builds culture. We've teamed up with Finn to give back to the communities that we serve. For every episode, we will be donating $10 to the cause of choosing by our guest in the Finn platform. Enjoy today's episode. How are we doing, Bear Nation? We are back again for another episode of the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship podcast. And today, I have um, a great guest with us who we're going to talk about the idea of entrepreneurship chicken. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. It's something that I, I have experienced myself. So I'm excited to talk with our guest, Whitney Osei Akintaju. Whitney is the founder of Ethnic District, which is changing the way African brands are created, perceived, and received with her online marketplace for authentic African CPGs. She's an American Express 100 for 100 founder of Change. And she is really building a value chain that connects consumers worldwide to the African CPG marketplace. So Whitney, say hello to Bear Nation for me. Thank you so much, Robert, for having me. Thank you, Bear Nation, for having me as well. Absolutely. I'm excited to uh, to kind of get into your story. And, you know, we were talking pre-show about entrepreneurship chicken. And for those out there who's like, what is that? And... We'll get into her story and we'll get into this probably a little bit later in the show. But entrepreneurship chicken is something that many entrepreneurs fight with on a regular basis. And it's that moment of doubt when you start questioning, am I doing the right thing? Do I want to go back to a team, a job, stability? Is this meant for me? You know, why is this so hard? And entrepreneurs find that line both, you know, just at it, some teeter on it. Some it's small, some it's big all the time because entrepreneurship is hard. And that's what we set out to do with the show. And in this episode, uh, Whitney and I will, will be talking about that because, you know, Whitney and I have known each other for a couple of years now. We actually met pre-pandemic times in probably 20, was it late 2019 or early, probably late 2019? Late 2019. Something like that. Yeah. Um, it was a... Um, actually a, an event hosted by our friends over at Sella. So for those that have listened to John Lynn's episode, you know who Sella is and what it's about. They are running a, um, a minority founders open office hours. I joined as one of the experts. Whitney was there um, talking about her product, her business, and we hit it off. And we've been talking and supporting ever since. I'm an advisor to uh, the ethnic district brand and have been doing a lot of work with Whitney over the years and just scaling, growing and, and planning. So uh, I've had a lot of conversations with her about this stuff. So let's start, I think, with your journey into entrepreneurship, right? Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about your story, because um, before you got into this crazy world of entrepreneurship, you kind of had a different path. Like you weren't even like in the realm of entrepreneurship and working in kind of the retail space, and then you flip, flip script. So tell me a little about, you know, when you went to college, what was your thought process growing up and what did you think you wanted to be? And then how did you kind of like find this entrepreneurship lifestyle and, and kind of decide to do this? Yeah, so 
When you look up the definition of an entrepreneur, what people think an entrepreneur should be, I'm like so far from it. I'm like on the other side of the spectrum. Like I'm a first generation Ghanaian American immigrant. I came here with my dad when I was just six years old. I mean, coming from a very conservative African background, my parents are always like, you, you, you go to school, you get a good job. And that's it. There was like no entrepreneurship discussions whatsoever. And it was just so funny because even at a very young age, I think I had some uh, qualities of an entrepreneur within me, but I didn't really know what it was. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until I got to college, um, even growing up like in high school, I found myself like hustling here and there, doing little things like designing people's MySpace pages. Or a follow back, like you know. Hey, hey, the, the millennial thing right there is you were designing MySpace pages for for your friends like that. Right. For for those listening, you know, if you remember and had a MySpace page, like let us know, please, like let us know in the comments. Drop it in because I want to know how many people out there remember what MySpace was all about. It was like the Facebook slash Instagram slash TikTok of like back in the day. God, I feel so old now. But yeah, and I would basically tell people, you know, if I design your page, you got to shout me out and follow me back and put me on your top eight. <laughs> you know, that was the thing back then. Yeah. Um, and so when I went to college, I really struggled because I found, I found myself trying to like figure out what I wanted to do, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It's like when you go to college, you're kind of put in this box. Like, are you going to be a doctor? Are you going to be a lawyer? Are you going to be an engineer? And I didn't want to be any of those things, and I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to be. So uh, freshman year, sophomore year, I was just switching majors like three or four times. And it got to a point where I was just like, this is not working for me. So I ended up actually dropping out of college after my sophomore year. And I told myself, hey, if you're not going to go the traditional educational route, mm -hmm. you need to get out there and figure out what you need to know. So um, I started, I was very lucky enough to be able to work for a bank right out of dropping out of college. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually working for the bank while I was in college and it was a bank inside of a grocery store. Can you imagine trying to sell bank accounts while people are picking up their milk and their eggs? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like a complete disaster. But looking back on that experience, it, it was like those little experiences were teaching me how to be an entrepreneur, how to approach people and get what you need. And so from there, um, I spent a lot of time in banking and finance. And from there, I kind of built up this um, this curiosity about technology and software. And so I went to work for a technology software company, uh, working as, in, as a tech analyst. Yep. And so my manager at the time was listening to my calls and he was like, Whitney, you're a great salesperson. Have you ever thought about joining the sales team? And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I don't want to join the sales team because I don't have to call people. <laughs> um, but I went over to the sales team and I ended up doing very, very well. So I was like, okay. And from there, um, I actually took some time off, moved to Ghana for a little bit, lived there. And I think living in Ghana is what really started putting those seeds in me to really create ethnic districts. And when I came back, um, I ended up working for a startup, which made me even love 
the startup ecosystem even more because mm-hmm. I really got to see a company start from scratch yeah. and build. And I got to work side by side with the CEO and learn so much from him in that process. And I think that's what really pushed me to where I am today. Yeah. All those little nuggets that I learned along the way. Yeah, and that's what I love is that, you know, it's never a linear path. It's all these different no. things. <laughs> and so I want to take a step back because you, know, you, you joke about the, uh, you know, working at a bank in a grocery store. And, um, you know, where I, where I come from in the Midwest, that's not an uncommon thing. And, uh, you know, part of the reason is all the, you know, my assumption was, I had friends that worked there, my assumption was, there's all the farmers that came to town, you know, to, uh, to do grocery store shopping. They would just do their banking right there and then get out. It's one-stop shop, right? So shout out to the old high V days uh, in the Midwest <laughs> where you see like, I think it was Midwest or Heartland Bank or whatever. Um, but I always thought it was interesting. You know, then they put a Starbucks, like you can get your coffee, your banking and your groceries all at the same time. You one stop and you're back out of town. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so you were with a, you went to a technical, you were the technical analyst in software and then you went over to sales, had some success, went back to Ghana. What year was it that you went back to Ghana? When was that like? So funny story, um, I actually had an experience that, well, while I was working in sales, I was making a lot of money for at a very young age, which was amazing considering yeah. I dropped out of college, but I just, I, I didn't feel fulfilled. Like I felt like something was missing and I'm like one of those people, I have a million ideas in my head at once. And so when I'm not able to really follow through with those ideas, I start to get bored and I start to get a little um, stagnant in that position. And I just wanted more challenges. So that was 2015. I went to Ghana. I was there for about four or five months because um, when I decided to just pick up my stuff and moved, I didn't have any plans. I was just like, I'm out of here. Peace. And when I went, I was like, yeah, I should have probably thought this out a little bit more. So I ended up coming back to like reset and I met my husband. And so at the time he was my boyfriend and I ended up going back again because that was the original plan. It was just Mm -hmm. coming, you know, get myself sorted out and go back. And when I went, I stayed there for another six months and came back again, got pregnant with my daughter. And I was like, okay, I'm staying. And so that's when I started working with the startup. And from there, I think I was with them for t- about a year when I started working on ethnic district. That's amazing. And um, funny how life just throws us curves. You know, like I thought I had my life figured out. Like I, I um, you know, I uh, recently just did a, a post about what would you tell your 20 year old self, your younger self. Oh, and, uh, you know, my, my first thing was like, Stop trying to have it all figured out. You know, I thought I had to do all these things and I bought a house and all these things. And that's when my life changed. Like when I finally kind of put down roots to buy the house and like do the things that I thought I needed to do is when I yeah. met my now wife. And three months later, we're, she was saying, either breaking up or moving. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm on a plane <laughs> in a year. Like I get that. And, you know, you sometimes need to just take a leap of faith with no real thought out plan to, to see yeah. what happens. So all yeah. these things are happening. You're traveling back and forth. You get married and you, uh, you know, get pregnant with your first daughter, daughter, and all these things are happening, working for the startup. Walk me through how all these things happening in succession, working for the startup, ethnic district was formed and like the why behind that, because like, this is a very craziness time, all these things happening at once. And then out of this is born this startup. So like, 
tell me how that all pulled together and tie the, tie the loop there. Yeah, so leave it to Whitney to decide to start a company in the midst of everything being chaotic. <laughs> but I really started Ethnic District because I remember being pregnant with my daughter Cassidy, and I live in Atlanta, which has a very you know decent African population. But even with that, I remember having to drive like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour in traffic to the uh, local specialty store trying to get my favorite African products. And I was getting so frustrated because I would get there and most of the time they didn't even have what I was looking for. And so I would spend like my whole Saturday jumping from store to store and it was just like, I I can't do this. Um, And so I thought, man, I'm just going to go online, see if I can shop for something. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find anybody that was selling online. So I was like, I'm going to do it. Like, why don't I create this online store where people can come shop their favorite African products? And so I actually, this is a really good lesson here. I actually started working on Ethnic District while I was working on the startup. I mean, while I was working with the startup while I was pregnant. And I think that's something very important for people to like understand because there's this romanticized idea of entrepreneurship. Like you just quit your job and you just start this business and it's just like, bam. Yeah, but it doesn't work that way. Like you definitely <laughs> need to have a way to fund the business. And so most times you want to start it as a side hustle and then build your way up to working on it full time. And so yeah. that's how that worked for me. That's that's funny. I mean, you know, part of the whole idea behind this podcast is that is to kind of de-romanticize entrepreneurship and give it a real picture because what I also have found is that many people don't even. Um, identify as an entrepreneur They're like content creators and business owners it's like but they started from scratch and so i think that you know there's a very romantic and and um expectation that entrepreneurship is one thing and and i always go back and forth about what is an entrepreneur versus what is the entrepreneur mindset and they're two different things and they manifest yeah. in different ways but you know you made a point about leave it to whitney during all the chaos to start a company and i kind of come back to you know something that i've always thought about and have, have heard from others is that and you see it kind of happen and all through history in, in life and politics and human evolution that throughout chaos comes innovation, right? Innovation happens mm. at its finest yeah. in midst of chaos because it's, it's easy when things are going well, let's innovate. And a lot of innovation is actually just adding on to something. It's not actually innovation. It's more like, let's make something right. better. But when right. times of chaos happen, when you need to make things done, your back's against the wall and there's no ability to think, you just do innovate. That's where true innovation really, I feel, comes from. And uh, and that's kind of shown throughout history. It's something that I've always thought about. And so I always love when I hear, you know, I love when you hear like there's a problem, you find a solution, right? But in the midst of right. chaos, your problem solution was something different because it hit a different way. One, it was your own problem solution, but two, it was a tie back to home, having moved over here when you were six and having spent time going back and forth. And so I think that is really interesting of how this all starts to tie together. So when you decided to launch this business, what, what was, what did you have in mind with ethnic district? Like, what did you think it was going to be? So when I launched it right off the bat, it was a marketplace. Like I thought I was going to, you know, have this, Airbnb model where I was just going to have people come to me and say, Hey, Whitney, I want to sell my products on your, on your marketplace. And I'm going to say, okay, 
and then we were gonna have like all these customers and um i i hit a reality check right off the bat because i actually <laughs> i always my husband and i always joke about this i borrowed like 80 dollars from him i built the website and then it was like okay cricket <laughs> where, where are the customers that are supposed to be you know coming to me and um i learned quickly that you know in building marketplaces or sometimes in building companies in general you need to tackle one problem at a time mm-hmm. so like for me i had this chicken and egg problem like what comes first do the customers come first or do i need to build the marketplace first and so I quickly realized that I needed to build the marketplace, like actually have products on the marketplace yeah. first and then like have supply first and then the demand will come. Yeah. And so what I actually started doing, which is like, you know, you do whatever you need to do in the beginning. Um, that's not scalable. I would literally just go to the stores. I would purchase like what a few of each item or I would just like ask them if I could take pictures at the store. I would come home, edit the pictures, put it on my website. And when customers would place orders, like my husband and I, like twice a week would go to the store, we would pick it up. They kind of knew what we were doing. So they would give us a discount and then we would ship it out to customers. And we did that in the very beginning, totally not scalable, but it helped me to build kind of like that customer base. Mm -hmm. And then it also helped me to see early on what products were really moving the fastest. So I could then buy those products in Blanc instead of just having a bunch of products sitting in my garage, which I happen to be working out of at the, at the time. <laughs> so like, just like bare bones bootstrapping at a time is what yeah. we were doing in the beginning. Um, so after that, slowly, um, and one thing that I did was I purposely built the site on WooCommerce because it was super cheap and I knew I could like hack SEO to get my first customers. And that's what I did. Like I focused on, you know, making sure every product was optimized and the customer started coming. And then when the customer started coming, then the brand like started finding us and saying, Hey, can we put our products on your website? Yeah. And we just went from there. And, and that's amazing because you know, building a marketplace is two sided and it's always tough. And so, yeah. you know, you know, I talk about that a lot, supply versus demand. And so I think that's amazing to hear And So, you know, as you're building out these partnerships with brands and suppliers, does that require you or was that requiring you to go back to Africa? How did you manage once you started getting this scalability? How do you manage that relationship? Because I know from having done a little bit of business in Africa, it's not easy. You have to know the right people and there's so many different states our nations that you have to kind of coordinate with. So what was that? I mean, obviously being from there, you have that. What was that like to like build those relationships at a distance or were you traveling back and forth? Cause you have a newborn in the mix of all this. Like, what was yeah. that like? So ironically, I actually haven't even been to Ghana since I started ethnic district. Um, and I haven't had the chance to, I'm going in November of this year and I'm excited about that. Cause for the first time, I'm just going to be there. No kids, first vacation. I'm excited about that. But You know, one thing about the times that we live in is that technology has made it super easy for you to communicate with people. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, I learned that a lot of uh, companies in Africa don't do very well with email. So I had to meet them where they were and move it to WhatsApp. So Uh like, you'll see me on WhatsApp 24 seven, talking to brands, talking to vendors. Like I'm up at 3 a.m. because of the time difference. It's like, I I feel like I'm working 24 seven. So. Um, a lot of WhatsApping, thank God for Zoom. We can do a lot of Zoom now as well. So that's mm-hmm. pretty much how we've been communicating with the brand. 
And then as far as getting supply over here, has there been an issue in the supply chain or has that been, what's that process been like on, on supply or is it being shipped from <laughs> Africa? So um, some of the brands that we work with ship their product from Africa and some of them are based right here in the U.S. Um, in the beginning, it was, it was fairly easy, but then when COVID hit and a lot of the supply chains were kind of getting choked up, yeah. We were having a lot of issues getting product into the U.S. I mean, we had one vendor that she, they were one of our best-selling vendors. We were out of their products for literally like three or four months. I mean, we had wholesale opportunities that we had to turn down because we just knew we couldn't get the product by the deadline. So um, it, it's not too difficult. What I would say, though, is that there is a big education piece that goes into building a marketplace with African brands because... You know, in Africa, they can be a little bit more lenient on things. And it's like when you come here, the FDA is like, no nonsense. We'll trash your stuff if you don't abide by our rules. And we kind of have to educate them on that. But yeah. so far, it's been pretty amazing. Um, you know, not counting COVID, which kind of messed yeah. things up for everyone, I think. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, it's good to hear. I mean, it's it's great to hear that you've kind of figured this out because it's not, it's not been easy. and being able to kind of go through the ups and downs of running a business um, is tough. And, and to be able to, to kind of leverage these relationships virtually, because the way you do business across the globe, you know, business is business, but, you know, different things. You got to work different hours, different tools, different yeah. platforms, you know, a I think lot a great of key differences. Yeah. Well, a key nugget there is, you know, I always talk with entrepreneurs about meeting your customers where they are. Right. You should be present on platforms where they are, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, WhatsApp. Right. Your customers in Africa, they don't use email. They're not on you know, LinkedIn no. like we are. They're on WhatsApp. They have communities. And in fact, India is the same way that, that the amount of communities and what WhatsApp is amazing. And I know like for Russia, it's all in Telegram. And so you have to understand there's communities built in all different platforms. And sometimes the ones that you don't think about because they're, you're that true social their messaging platforms, but that's what the communities are built on. You need to be where your customers yeah. are. So that's, I think, a great kind of nugget there. So and to add on to what you yeah. just said, um, I think if you're going to do business internationally, it's very important to understand the market that you're going to be working with. What a lot of people don't understand is that data, like internet, is extremely expensive in Africa, which is why a lot of people prefer to use WhatsApp because it's a lot, you know, it's a lot easier, a lot faster than having you download like a thousand email messages and eating up all your data. Yeah. Um, like we would have problems with vendors not wanting to upload their products because it would take forever. So it's really important to understand the market, the challenges, and then make sure that whatever solution you're creating addresses some of those challenges in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, so important to, to understand. So kind of want to take away from, you know, we talk about the business and the growth and kind of your journey to becoming an entrepreneur, which not linear, you know, being an immigrant, you know, first generation <laughs> Ghanese immigrants coming over and, and kind of had family pressure, which led you to, you know, leave school, get into the working world, which started in banking, into software, into sales, into startups, into running your own company. And through all this, getting married, having your daughter, going through all these things, let's talk about the entrepreneur chicken piece. And, you know, it, up until now, it's, 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 oh, it's been, it's, it's, it's been, the story has been very positive. And for those that don't know, like this is Whitney's personality all the time. She is always thinking 
positivity first, but the, let's, let's talk about the other side of this. Like, because there's been chaos, because it's been not easy, what, um, what are some of the things that you've really struggled with throughout the process of building this business? What were some of the things that, you know, kind of, kind of caused you the most angst in the, you know, romantic entrepreneurship <laughs> <laughs> lifestyle? Oh man, there is, I always tell people that entrepreneurship is like marriage, right? In the beginning or any relationship for that matter, in the beginning, you know, you're optimistic, it's all honeymoon phase. And for me, I had that, right? Cause I, w- I was working. And so I had that money coming in from work to sustain the business. So I was like, you know, a little bit naive at that moment. But then when I decided to quit my job, Two months later, the pandemic hit, and I was like, what did I do? I quit my job. Now I have to figure out how to fund the business with, like, no income coming in. And at that time, I was like, man, what did I sign myself up for? Am I even qualified to do this? And Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome is so real. It's something that I've really struggled with. Mm -hmm. Um, Just getting in a rut. There would be months where the numbers just weren't what I wanted them to be. Oh, man, I, I always tell this story like there there were times when my husband would give me money to pay the light bill and I mm-hmm. wouldn't. I would take the money and I would put it into the business and our, <laughs> our lights would get cut off. And my husband would be like, what the heck are you doing, woman? And I was just like, oh, my God, this business is going to crash and burn. <laughs> and then there were months where I just felt so strong because sales were coming in. So I, it's like a roller coaster for me. Mm-hmm. There's months where I'm like. Am I the best person to do this? Can I do it? What makes me think that I'm capable of building this mm-hmm. amazing company? Um, I remember when a brand approached me to do this campaign for them, I was like, are you sure? Are you? I literally said, are you sure you're talking to me? Because how does this even happen to me? I'm like building the company from my garage, by the way. Our customers probably think we have like this big, huge warehouse with like all these employees. And I'm literally doing everything from customer service to updating the website. Mm -hmm. And that burnout also made me question myself a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, am I capable of being an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. So two things there was imposter (laughs) syndrome and burnout. And we'll get into that. Um, Funny, though, that you mentioned that you're building us from your garage. I mean, Apple, Amazon, you know, all started out of someone's garage. Um, so I, I think that, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. You're in good company there. Um, it sounds cool until you actually do it and all your stuff is in the living room and then true. it's like, what are you doing? True. And with a baby around, yeah, I'm sure, you know, right. causing, My causing a little like, bit get of... your crap out of here, woman. <laughs> like, I can't find the remote. So, you know, when it comes to the imposter syndrome piece, you know, what are some of the things you know, the posture is very real. And yeah. it's something that I don't know about you, but I go through waves of there's some days where I'm like, yes, I'm meant to be here. And I am the person to talk about this stuff. And there's days where I'm like, where the fuck am I? Why am I in this room? Why am I on this stage? Why am I talking to these people? Why am I in this situation? And there's days I'm sitting at home and like, who the fuck do I think I am right now? Like, exactly. So, you know, as you kind of go through go through that, like what what are some of the ways that you've overcome that? How have you how have you continually managed your own imposter syndrome? 
I mean, to be completely honest with you, Rob, it's not something I've overcome. It's something that I still battle with every single day. It's one of those things that I like, I have to make a conscious effort to tell myself, okay, you can do this. You're going to do this. You have done it and you are doing it. So it's, it's not this, I don't think for any entrepreneur, it ever goes away. You know, I was listening to um, an interview with Sarah Blakely, who builds Spanx with nothing and still owns 100% of her company. And she still talks about having imposter syndrome, even with all the success she's achieved. So I don't think for me, it's something I'm ever truly going to accomplish. But it's just letting myself know that I've done it, I'm doing it, and I'm going to do it. And then just riding with that. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I, I'm the same way that I don't think I'll ever overcome it, but I can manage it. And exactly and through that, it's, you know, giving, giving myself a little bit of, you know, space for grace that, Hey, here's the things you've done. Here's why, here's what. And, you know, if they see it or, and they don't like, you can't please everybody. You know, part of my imposter syndrome, not only is by the right person, but it's, can I make everybody happy to believe that I'm that person? Exactly. And exactly. I think the hard part is that, especially if you put yourself out there in these these kind of different veins and facets, is can you handle the criticism? Because not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to think you're great. Not everyone's going to believe in what you do. And in fact, you know, as you probably see yourself, as you start to grow something big, everyone wants to be a supporter. Hey, it's amazing. But oh, I don't yeah. think it's going to work. And then it starts working. And they're like, oh, it's awesome. That's working. And they start getting resentful. And then they want to see you fail. And... You know, fuck. I, I was literally. I don't know if you've been seeing on the the on the all of social like the crate challenge is like the big thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is like the, to me. It's just like why. But there's a video that was going around of somebody doing this, and somebody wanted to see him fail so badly they went and kicked the crates out from under him, so the guy fell. And somebody That's like horrible. put like it is horrible, but somebody put like a a kind of thing. It's like. PSA, we need to stop this. And this is like a lesson about life. There are people that want to see you fail so badly and find joy in that because they don't want to see you succeed that they'll go and ambush your success. Like you have to keep climbing yeah. that mountain. And I was like, this is, it, it's so true. And it also makes me, this is how I think about imposter syndrome. And so this is kind of how I manage it for myself. It's just like, look, like there's people that were with me in the beginning, may not be with me later because I, Maybe I'm seeing some success. There's people that are going to always be there, ride or die. There's some people that come at me late. And it's like, I need to take all of that and be like, this is why you keep doing this. This is the, your validation, both good and bad, to why you need to keep moving forward and keep driving towards the place that you want to be, you know? And, and that's yeah. how I manage it. I don't know if that's how you feel or kind of if you have anything to add to that, but that's just how I've been I seeing it. It's, you know, imposter syndrome, I feel like we don't talk about it enough because we, especially when you go on social media now, it looks like everybody has this amazing business. No one talks about like all this crap that they deal with behind the scenes when like they don't have enough money to pay their rent and businesses are, go I, I mean, just stepping out of my house and walking down the street, there are so many businesses that have closed within the last year and you don't hear about those stories. You just hear this company raised 2 million, this company yeah. raised 5 million and you feel like, you have to do that. And I think part of that imposter syndrome is just comparing yourself to other companies when you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I know for the longest, I was comparing myself to one company that was doing something similar to us, but in fashion. Well, little did I know that they had like $3 million in funding 
and here I am bootstrapping, trying to compare myself to them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's, it's not the same thing. And imposter syndrome can really talk you out of a lot of great opportunities mm -hmm. if you don't manage it. Because I feel like there were opportunities in the beginning that I missed out on because I didn't believe that I could do it and I turned them down. So back to what you were saying, I don't think you ever get away from it, but you definitely need to learn how to manage it. So I love that you just shared that because <laughs> it's something that I, I felt really passionate about. It's a conversation I've gotten into a couple of times and, you know, we're having this, we're, we're recording this episode will come out in about 45 days from now, but a couple of conversations I've had and I put this out there again about some advice to tell my younger self. And I said, fake it till you make it. And now that has a negative connotation. There's a lot of people out there that say, that's so fucking wrong. You can't be like that. But my thought about the fake it till you make it is just your point right there. There are times I've talked myself out of things, but there are times when I was like, I don't know if I'm that person to do this, but I'm going to go figure it out. Because I think I can. I yeah. think I'm that person. Because I had the confidence myself to fake it, I went and did it and I gained that experience. And there was time, yeah, I failed. And I know fake it till you make it, blah, blah. But because I failed, I never made that mistake again. We act like we have to be perfect. You need to sometimes fake right. it to make it to overcome, to, to learn and to kind of fuck up. But when you fake it to make it, the way that you be successful in that is that you ask great questions. You know, you don't, you don't, you try not to, you try to have like that, that, that authenticity of, hey, like, yeah, I've only been here for a year. But what I've seen, yeah. what I know, what I think, what I feel I can do is boom, 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 boom. And that's what I mean, always mean by it. And this people, people have fought me on this before and, and that's, that's their <laughs> prerogative, but this is exactly why. Because of imposter syndrome, we talk ourselves out of things that we are equipped to do. It may be our first time, but we're never going to know if we can do it or not until we do it. So we kind of fake right. it a little bit and go make it happen, but we let ourselves get talked out because our imposter syndrome says, no, you are not the person. And so thanks for sharing because that's a point that to me is such a big a big thing. Yeah, um, and just to add quickly to that, I mean, you know, I say that when you are presented with an opportunity, take every single opportunity that you can get. I'll give you an example. When Warner Brothers called me and said, hey, can you give us 200 PR boxes full of like 15 products? I was like, how the heck am I gonna put together 200 PR boxes from this garage that I'm working out of. But I said, screw it. I'm gonna say yes, and I'm gonna figure it out. And it ended up working together beautifully. Like the way that it just happened, it's like the universe literally was like, all right, we see you're taking that opportunity. We're gonna give you some help so that you make it happen. And we made it happen and killed it. So I think not being afraid to fail and taking those opportunities as they come will sometimes help you pivot your company. I know that ethnic district, we definitely are not what we started out with because we failed so many times. We listened to our customers. We reiterated and pivoted into a much stronger company, which is what we are today. So definitely take those opportunities and figure it out. Absolutely. Sometimes when you put the intention out there of what you're going to go make happen, you'll do. Exactly. Um, and that was a nice subtle drop. You know, there's something that uh, Warner Brothers reached out to you. Can you tell oh, us man. a bit more about what which opportunity and, and, and what and into what context at all or, or what uh, can you share with us about that? Listen, when I got that email, I if I didn't know the person that sent that email, I would have thought it was a complete scam. I think I actually remember like texting you like, Rob, you won't believe what just happened. 
Um, so this is why it's really great to build networks, right? Because your network is your net worth. And I really mean that in its sincerity. So one of the brands that we work with, um, she, the brand owner just happens to be the PR person for a Warner Brothers TV show. And so she was tasked with coming up with this creative PR box because of the lockdown, you know, they weren't able to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And she was thinking, the, the show was Bob Hart's Abishola on CBS, which is about a Nigerian woman who marries this Caucasian man here in America and goes over their life and everything. Um, and she was like, man, what am I going to do about this PR box? Who do I even know that has African products to put in this PR box? And she was like, oh, Whitney has this marketplace with products. Let me reach out to her. And when she went on our website, we just happened to have like the, the, the hero banner was one of our vendors holding up a box, which had all these different items in it. And she was like, this is perfect. So she reached out and she was like, will you do this? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I let it sit there for a minute because I had to like, I had to come to terms with it. But I was like, uh, yes. And of I'm going to do it very well. So, I mean, they were like, all right, let's do it. We went, I pitched them the idea, like, here's what we can do with the boxes. They loved it. I mean, the producers, everybody loved it. And we just like took it and we ran and it was like a huge deal for us. Like Absolutely. monetary wise, PR wise, it was amazing. Absolutely. I mean, that's a pretty big show too, you know, on CBS, it's Warner Brothers. And, you know, yeah. again, coming back to this is why you network. This is why you create opportunities and you talk to people and, you figure out because you never know when that's going to come back around. And I absolutely love hearing that. And, and I'm really excited that that has that happened for you. And it's a big opportunity. And it's so funny that happened because right at that moment, I think I was talking to you and I was telling you, like, I wanted to give up on this company. Like so much was going on with COVID that I was really having that imposter syndrome. So to have that happen and then American Express happened right after was just like, okay, I'm doing something right. Yeah. So I was just about to kind of to, to, to lead into that of, you know, the, the other thing that happened around that time was the American Express opportunity. And for those that don't know, is that a lot of companies like American Express, Google's of the world, Amazon's, et cetera, have grants and different cool projects and opportunities for founders, but specifically for BIPOC founders. And you know, we were talking about that at this time and you were kind of like, maybe I should apply. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. Going through this, this moment of, of kind of existential crisis crisis and then CBS happens and then talk about American Express and this amazing opportunity that kind of happened a little bit because you put yourself out there, but kind of also a little fortuitous and just like that whole scheme of things. Yeah. So I think you have this one thing that you always, you always tell me, which is like, I think it's like success what happens when like luck meets opportunity. Yeah. I, I forget how you, you say it exactly, but it's <laughs> like in order for me to have gotten that opportunity, I had to have the company running. Like mm -hmm. if American Express would have came my way and I had nothing to show, I just missed out on this amazing opportunity. So you constantly have to be prepared mm -hmm. so that when those opportunities happen, you have a better chance of getting them. And so um, I, it was like a Friday night. I was laying in bed, it was like 1 a.m. Uh, the CEO of iFund Women, Karen Khan, sends, out, sends me this email that's like, hey, um, 
this company is doing this thing for black founders and they're interested in you. Can you fill out this quick questionnaire for me? And I'm like, Karen, it's like, <laughs> it's like 12 a.m. on a Saturday. What, what are you talking about? But I was like, you know what? You, you know, it's funny. I almost talked myself out of filling out that application because I was like, there's no way I'm going to get it. Like whatever it is, what makes them like think I deserve to be whatever it is. And so my husband was like, girl, just do it. <laughs> like, you get it cool if you don't okay you're where you started and so i just did it and then a few weeks later i found out that i had been selected and i was just like and what made it even better is um one of the members of the american express team that was looking through the applications um was nigerian and she completely understood the struggle of like finding african products and she was like when i saw your company i was like Oh my God, I know this struggle too well. <laughs> and so imagine me just like not ha like if I wouldn't have filled out that application or taken that opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. I would have missed out on a customer potentially and this amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's how that happened. And what was really cool about this American Express founder of change that in addition to like funding, which I desperately needed, um, which allowed us to keep going during COVID, they also gave us lots of educational resources that we were able to take and apply to our business from learning how to read cash flow. So it, it was such an amazing opportunity. It really was. I love that. And this is why, you know, for anyone out there in Brand Nation listening about going after growing a business, potentially getting funding, et cetera, don't go, don't always think traditional VC, uh, especially uh, BIPOC, Women X Founders. Um, a lot of these organizations have um, special programs to support and you'll never know until you apply. And this is why I tell every founder, every entrepreneur, every, if there's an opportunity to fill out something, to be a part of something, a competition, just fill it out. Take the 20 minutes, whatever it is. You may not hear back from 90% of them, but guess yeah. what? Somewhere along the line, somebody's going to see that and some connection is going to happen. Go apply for that startup award. Go apply for that grant. Go apply for that. I know it takes a lot of time, energy, and effort, and it's a pain in your ass, but don't stop doing don't it. Don't sleep on it. It just opens up it. opens up all these opportunities. And, and I, I think that it's tough because a lot of people don't know that these opportunities exist. They think traditional funding, they need to go do a traditional seed and then Series A. And you know, I have people that talk to me about, you know, oh, we're looking for a Series A. I'm like, you're looking for your Series A funding? Like, you do realize that you have to have a million ARR. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And so the, the, there's a lot of education that's needed. And so oh, yeah. look for other opportunities. And this is also why I get involved with as many organizations, networks as you can. And anyone that's out there from other countries looking to make things happen, contact local chamber of commerces, talk to, um, you know, different, uh, organizations, whether that's um, local or international, like find those communities that you can lean into and ask those questions. So, yeah. And I, I think this ahead. is something that we talked about. Um, when I started, I was thinking, you know, coming from where I was coming from and not knowing much about entrepreneurship, I always thought that the only way to fund your business was by getting investors. And we had a conversation where you were like, you know, slow your roll, you know, because not every, in reality, not every company is VC investable. You can have a very successful small business, uh, sorry, very successful small business and make millions of dollars and have a really, really good company. You don't have to off the bat, go get 
millions of dollars in funding because what yeah. you don't realize is the VC funding comes with VC expectations, mm-hmm. right? They're looking for a 10x return on their money. And so one thing that you told me is like, look into grants, look into crowdfunding. There's so much that you can do before you even get to that point of getting an outside investor. And while you're doing that, you're able to validate your idea in the process without any pressure. So I think that's something great for people to consider as well. I, I love that because there's uh, we, you don't have to be the next unicorn, right? You can have an yeah. amazing <laughs> business and do all these different things in different ways. Your yeah. journey is impressive because it's yours. Don't try to compare yourself to others. Like this whole episode, this whole conversation has been about that. So um, I know we're getting close to time. So I, I want to kind of talk about two other quick things before we get into lightning round questions. And one being <laughs> burnout, right? You know, we, we oh, talked man. a lot about the other side of this is not the past. And, and they kind of compound on top of each other. And, you know, you've, you've definitely messaged me multiple times like, Kind of freak, not not freaking out, but like in this freaking in this headspace, <laughs> in this headspace, and, and we've talked, and you know, you talked about things like maybe just moving back to Ghana and all these things. So now you're going on vacation, which I think is definitely needed. But how have you been managing your time? Like, talk to me about. And I know it's not always perfect, but talk to me about burnout and time management, and what are you doing for Whitney? What is your mental mental health, mental wealth plan, if you have one, to kind of yeah. combat? Yeah. Um, like, I, I want to give you this amazing answer that says I figured it out. But to be honest, I haven't figured it out. Like, I'm mm-hmm. still struggling to find that balance of, like, being a mom, being a wife and running this amazing company. And so for me, what I've learned to do is just, like, if it's just one day out of the week, just take some time off, just shut down my laptop and just, like, don't do anything. Spend time mm-hmm. with my family uninterrupted. Turn off my phone that's one thing that's been really helping me. And even though <laughs> I haven't been fortunate enough to be able to go on vacation since I started the company, there are times where I just like, I just go off the grid for like three days. Don't take any phone calls and don't do anything and just keep my mind you know, clear because sometimes that burnout just might make your imposter syndrome even worse. Yeah. Like when you're burnt out, it's hard to think clearly and make sound decisions for your mm-hmm. company. So you absolutely have to make sure that your mental wellness and health is first. And then after that, you can always work on the company because if you are not around or if you're not in the mental capacity to to build the company, there's not going to be a company. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important for entrepreneurs to know. Absolutely. And I, I'm 100% about that and with that. And, you know, Again, I'm trying to figure it out too. And there's times when I know I need to get so much stuff done and I have so much anxiety about it that I just shut down and like we'll play video games or shut down and like literally sit on the couch doing nothing. (laughs) And it's both productive and counterproductive at the same time Uh, because that that, that happens. It is. And, you know, I know not only running a company, having a daughter, you know, being a mom and, you know, being part of your family with your husband and, you know, building a, you know, dealing with the issues of the pandemic and just, you know, kind of life, life, life has been oh, crazy yeah. living down in Atlanta, you know, all the things that you're, you're, that you have going on for you. I think it's just, you know, it's really easy to, to let it all be a burden and you got to find ways to kind of manage that and also take some time for yourself. So I'm glad that you're working on that. And for anyone out there, you know, 
Winnie's idea of like taking time off like that is amazing for me. It's Friday afternoons. I'm done every Friday at two. And Friday afternoons are meant for me to do things that I want to work on, things that I want to do, do nothing if that's the case. And I kind of make that up on Sunday morning. But those Friday afternoons are shutting down, kind of shutting my mind off, allows me to really just at the end of that week kind of settle. Um, and it's been super helpful for me. It so. is tough. Yeah, it's very tough. It's super tough. I don't want anyone to think that it's like super easy because I know even for me, sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm just going to reply to this one last email. And before I know it, I've been sitting on my laptop for like four hours. So sometimes you just have to literally like shut down or else you won't be able to do it. And it's, it's understandable, right? Your, your business is like your baby. You feel some kind of like guilt when you're not giving it all of your attention but yeah. it's, it's absolutely necessary to take that time off for absolutely. yourself Should i feel like i feel guilt when i don't respond to an email in 24 hours <laughs> right if i have an email i in my inbox for like three days i feel freaking bad and i'm always like sorry for the day I'm like wait a second delay it's been three days like this wasn't a time since of email it was like action required it was like three days like it's a perfectly acceptable response time you know or like when i don't respond to a text within hours like you know, I feel bad. It's like, I got to stop thinking that I got to be on all the time. Um, it's so bad that like, I've done it so much that people have gotten accustomed to it. They don't hear back from me. They're like, wait, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> like I just haven't had time to respond. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm working on that myself of not responding always right away. Not always easy. Yeah. I'm also like people show me like their you know their phone and they'll have like this is how many emails and text messages I get. It's like 125 text messages, 3,000 emails. But I'm like my OCD goes into overdrive. Like I'm the guy I always when has I to keep those that clean. Oh, I hate it, yeah. but it also it, you know, and I get it. Like what I envy about those people is that they can actually prioritize time to work on what they need to, and all those things take a back seat. For me, I can be like, I'm going to write and have notifications and then I'll have like 15 messages. And I'm like, I need to respond to these and get these clear. Cause that, that little dot up there makes me, it gives <laughs> it me anxiety me and I can't think about what I need to do unless that's done. And yeah. it's, it's a, it's something I battle and it really makes it hard for me to get like work done in blocks because yeah. I need to respond to everything. And that keeps me from actually getting stuff done. And it's, um, I haven't, I haven't figured it out. I haven't figured it out. I've, I've tried. I'm working on it. haven't figured it out. Uh, but I don't think anyone ever really does, right? It's not about mm -hmm. figuring it out. Like, hell, we're never going to have it figured out. That's that's life. No. If, we, if no. we figured out life, we'd all, you know, we'd all be in a much better place. But I think that's kind of the beauty of it is that you figure it out as you go and you learn lessons along the way, but you're never going to have it completely figured out. And that's okay. You always need something to kind of work towards. Yeah. So entrepreneur chicken, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're back on this. We're on this path that things are going well. What do you what do you see as we look at the back half of 2021 here in these last few months? You're going to Ghana. You're taking some some time off. Uh, we're heading to 2022. What is what is the plan for Ethnic District? Where do you see your entrepreneurial journey being written of these next kind of six months or so? You know what? And this is just me being completely like transparent with you guys. I could talk to the Bear family because, you know, we're all entrepreneurs here. Um, you guys will probably relate. I'm actually going through, you know, a, a bit of a struggle right now where I'm like trying to decide what do I want to do next with the business? I think as entrepreneurs, you're always looking for that next step. Like you never stop. And so 
I'm at a point where I'm just like, all right, what's the next step for ethnic district? And I think part of me figuring that out is really taking that trip back home and really connecting with the entrepreneurs because um, it, it's really tough. And so whenever it gets super hard for me, I just have to bring myself back to my why. Like, why am I doing this? Why is it so important for this company to exist? And that kind of helps me uh, to continue going. So I think right now, taking that trip, reconnecting with the entrepreneurs and really getting back to why I'm building what um, I'm building is really going to help. We're also like fundraising right now at the moment. So we're raising our seed round, uh, which is super exciting because we do have plans of scaling. I'm so happy to say that I, you know, we don't work out of my garage, <laughs> my garage anymore. <laughs> um, and that has really allowed us to be able to work with more brands and do more things. So I'm really excited and looking forward to that. I think for us, for the end of 2021, it's just focusing on our vendors and how we can add more value mm -hmm. to their businesses through ethnic district. I think it's what we're going to be doing mostly. I love that. I think that's a, a kind of a great thought because, you know, your, your, your goal of building a value chain that connects consumers worldwide to African CPGs, going back to Africa, getting to talk with some of those entrepreneurs, some of those brands and really the value that you bring to them. Um, and, and, you know, as you're going through the seed round and all these things is, you know, really lock up what you're doing well right now and then taking yeah. that money to how do I scale it? Whether that's bringing on some staff to help expand and grow, you know, all the things that you want to do. Um, and that's awesome to hear. I mean, you know, this game of, of chicken that we play as entrepreneurs is never ending. You know, imposter syndrome is bound to set in again. Burnout is bound to set in again. Um, is this what I want to be doing is bound to set in again. Uh, you know, all these things are going to happen and, and just kind of reconnecting back to, to yeah. why it is that you do what you do. And that's one thing that continues to drive. And, I, and I've talked to many entrepreneurs who build a company that they're out of necessity and that passion. And, and it evolves. Yeah. But when it's out of passion, it's going to evolve in a better place versus out of necessity because then right. you just, you don't, you don't really want to have that skill, but at some point it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so what's the next step selling or closing up shop? Um, that's something that I know all too well and, and have talked to many people about. And so, um, you know, yeah. we're excited to follow your journey. We're excited to see where it goes. Um, yeah. I appreciate you kind of opening up and sharing these different struggles and things, but also, you know, again, on the other side of struggle, is where growth happens. So on the other side of failure is where you learn and grow, right? And the quote from earlier is that, you know, luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. And when you are always putting in the work for those opportunities to happen, yes, you're going to get a little bit of luck it happens, but you tend to be luckier and successful well when you put, in, you put in that preparation and, you know, be ready for the opportunity to arise. So um, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I know that we've, gone a little long on this one, but I just, we had so much to cover and I'm so glad to be able to chat with you about it all. And, um, you know, before we end, there's a few quick questions that we like to ask all our guests. <laughs> <Let's Right? do> <laughs> so, um, first is what advice would you give to, um, anyone out there is thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, whether millennial, Gen Z, <laughs> just entrepreneur minor, what advice would you give them? If they're thinking about being an entrepreneur today, go work for a startup first. <laughs> like, don't be afraid to be a follower before you become a leader, because especially for a startup, 
um, because when you work with a startup that's just starting out the company building, you really get to see everything, the passion, the grit, and you learn so much so quickly. So if you can, go work at a startup. Um, sometimes when you have an idea, you feel like you have to create the solution, but oftentimes there are solutions out there that you can become a part of, make better. So um, you don't always have to start your own company. You can join another company and help create something amazing. I love that. I mean, my, my, how I got into this world is I joined a startup and I saw that and fell in love with it. And I had so much passion helping build it for somebody else first before I even, it took me actually five years from when I first worked for a startup to like growing up to start my own business. And, but that, that, that was a foundational experience for me and and being able to see that from different ways and also learn how to work and, and and see some of those mistakes happen and those positive things happen. So I love that advice. And also, you know, we talk about startup, we're talking about true startups. So, you know, saying I work for a series A startup is not working for a startup. That's working for a growth stage company that has $20 million invested into the company. We're talking about going to a true zero to one like they're working out of the garage, you know, (laughs) like out there, you know, kitchen startup. Yeah. Because there's, there's different levels of startups, right? Startups, scale ups, growth stage. So just understand too, if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, you know, you can't go into a series C funded startup, not a startup, but series C funded company and say, Oh, I work for a startup. I'm going to start my own business and be like, Oh, that, that translates (laughs) because there's so many steps that are missed. Um, What's uh you know what's one book resource show piece of content that you'd recommend our listeners to listen to right now? Uh, the Bare Necessities podcast, <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but beyond that, there's like two things, two um, pieces of content that have really helped me. One is "You're a Badass" by Jen Sincero, mm-hmm. and that book really helped me with managing my imposter syndrome and just letting me know that when you speak uh, things into existence, they do happen. And then the other one is another podcast that I also really like, which is "Side Hustle Pro" uh, by Michaela Matthews Okome, and it talks about you know the startup grind from like the bare bones you know, building your company into from a startup into a profitable business. And I love that one as well. Yeah, I love it. It's a, it's a good one. Very similar to kind of what we're trying to do here with the bare necessities. Yeah. Right? It's like you don't have to make the mistakes. You can learn off of what other people have done to avoid them. Absolutely. Um, and then from, uh, from your perspective, I love this question. What is your superpower? Man, am I resourceful. <laughs> Like, I'm talking, figure, take like dust and turn it into chocolate, resourceful. Like, and I think that people build that becoming an entrepreneur. Oftentimes, you have very limited resources and you just have to pull whatever you can to make it happen because no one really cares about your woes. All they care about is the finished product. And that has made me extremely, extremely resourceful. Love to hear that. Um, and I think that's such a great superpower because you got to understand you don't have to do everything. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Who do you know? Yeah. What can you bring in? Who can you circle the wagons around? And then the final question, you know, what is, what is your lasting message for, for Bear Nation today? Oh, Bear Nation. I think, um, what I would say is no matter what you're doing, whether it's starting a company, working at a company, it's extremely um, 
important to like live your truth, right? Everyone is very different, very unique. And that's all part of what makes up your secret sauce. It's all part of what makes you different from everyone else. So with everything that's going on, social media, everyone's trying to be like everyone, know that there is a lot of opportunity and a lot of substance in just being who you are, living that truth. Because there are experiences that I have personally faced that have made me the Whitney that I am today, that has made me able to run this company. And it's the same for every other person. So own your truth, live your truth. I absolutely, I can't, I can't love that any more than I do, right? Your story is impressive because it's yours. Exactly. Um, so Whitney, where, where can my listeners find you if they want to continue the conversation or follow up or ask a question, where can they find you? What are, what are the details? Sure. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn and that's where I connect with a lot of people, including Rob. Um, so my LinkedIn is linkedin.com slash I am Whitney Osei. And you can find me there. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Whitney Osei, on Twitter at Whitney Osei. And Ethnic District is ethnicdistrict.com. Awesome. And I will make sure to have all those linked in the show notes so you can click and find and connect with Whitney. And if you're looking to try some amazing products, um, check out Ethnic District, uh, put some in your cart, connect with her if you need recommendations. Um, <laughs> and there funny. may be, you know, there may be a little special Bear Nation discount uh, code in the show notes as well um, for your first <laughs> order if you've never heard of Ethnic District. So get involved, follow along, connect with Whitney, um, check out some of those products. And, um, you know, Whitney, I'm excited. Is, is this When this show airs, um, my book will be just about out. And my book is called The Social Soul, How to Master Your Personal and Professional Brand with Intentionality and Authenticity. And it talks a lot about what we talked about today in imposter syndrome and how you build an authentic, intentional brand, both personally and professionally for you as a, you know, whether you're coming out of school as a new grad or an entrepreneur, and how to leverage that into building real relationships that value growth. So a lot of things we talk about here, it's not about being an influencer. It's not about, you know, living the perfect life online. It's about being an authentic, true self and how to use that to grow your sphere of influence, your conversations, your brand and your business. Um, so I'm that's what the so book excited. is all about. And it should be I can't released. wait. Yeah, me either. And when this episode comes out, it'll be releasing about the same time. The book will be out in November. Um, and all the details for that will be in the show notes as well. Um, so make sure you take a look at that and check it out. Whitney, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you sharing your story with Bear Nation. And uh, you're just an awesome human. And I uh, can't wait to hear about your trip back to Ghana and hopefully just refreshed and relaxed. Um, now go enjoy the rest of your day. Spend some time with your daughter. And I appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. It was such a pleasure. Absolutely. Bear Nation, stay well, and then tune into next week's episode. Bear Nation, once again, thank you for listening to the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. And until next time, take care. <laughs>